Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode E. I am joined, as always, by my trusty co-host, Hermes. How are you doing today, Hermes? I, I must admit, I'm starting to feel the effects of this year. This year's been very long, if you think we started back in August. But no, good, good, good. It's just waiting for exams now, so goodness. Creeping around the corner slowly, so probably know, should start thinking about Yeah, well, this is a good start, isn't it? So, um, what episode E right now? So, uh, chugging along. Chugging along. So, I think you have the case and the potential drugs Yep, yep, me. we is do. Right? So, let's just get cracking with episode E then. Right, Kehan. So, E today. I'm going to change it up a little bit, okay? So, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a couple of drugs beginning with E, then I'm going to give you the presentation, and then... Mm try and see from the presentation which of these drugs it could be because last time i think we we're just chucking up drugs and it was a bit pointless if i'm going to be honest so this time here's some possible options so i've got for you a doxaban azetamibe mm. erythromycin nice or entresto okay and entresto mm-hmm. is just it's a combination of mm. sucubitril and valsartan okay so that's the four so here's the presentation so you're a final year medical student you're at the end of your shift and Mr. Jet Lee, a 43-year-old pilot, flies into the clinic complaining of some strange yellow nodules on the back of his Achilles tendon. He explains they're not painful, but they've just gotten bigger over time. Uh, his systems review is negative, but he's just become a little breathless uh, when he's doing exercise. You go on to continue with some family history, and he does mention his... That, and he does mention that his brothers both have had some kind of history of cardiovascular disease. And he's on some medication, but he's not quite sure what. And then he talked to him about his lifestyle. He says he used to be a martial arts instructor. Um, but now he finds exercise pretty difficult because he's just really sedentary as a pilot. Uh, he, he jokes to you that he probably couldn't land a single hit right now. He's tried to run regularly and he finds listening to Aerosmith motivates him. But still, it's tough. When you do a further examination, you notice he has a BMI of 30 and he has a waist circumference of 40. He says he might be weight, gaining weight. He says he might be gaining weight, but he probably thinks this is due to lack of exercise. So that's your presentation. And actually, can you yeah. find any puns? I've, I've chucked some puns in there. Did you did you find any? I did. I got quite a few. Yeah. yeah. So I was like a bit confused. Like there's Jet Li, right? Yeah. The... Um... Kang, I would say Kung Fu. Yeah, like the martial art. Yeah, martial yeah, arts, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly, right. But then there's also stuff about planes and jets. I guess that's to do with like his, his name, name Jet. Being jet. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But it's thought out. I this. know, I know. Um, so like, obviously he's a pilot and um, let's just Aero Smith, yeah, Smith, yeah, right? Yeah. Aero is another one. And then obviously there's more like uh, kind of martial arts jokes. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. He f- flies into the clinic but and yeah. so on. Yeah, nice, so it nice. makes it a bit interesting. So tell me what you think sticks out to you then. Um, so he's got these weird yellow nodules mm-hmm. on his Achilles tendon. Um, these aren't painful, but they've been getting bigger at time. Um, he's also kind of short of breath. Got a family history of cardiovascular disease. And he's finding exercise more and more difficult. Um, he's saying that's because of his mm-hmm. sedentary job as a pilot. But he also has like a quite high BMI and a waist circumference of 40 inches, 120 yep, yep, inches yep. as well, right? So BMI of 30, that's quite high, isn't it? Thinking of the drugs then. So we had adoxaban, azetamibe, erythromycin and Tresto. What do you think then the drug could be? According yeah, I'm just going to gonna go through the four drugs that you gave me. So adoxaban, the XA tells me that it's a factor 10A inhibitor, right? And that mm-hmm. is, it. so it has a, a role in um, stopping clots from forming. Don't know a lot about azetamibe. Erythromycin, quite a famous kind of antibiotic. Yeah. Uh, and Tresto, 
pretty sure my brother's got a coffee machine for this. Kind of sounds like it makes coffee machine or something. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like a like a knockoff espresso machine or something. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> makes really crap coffee interest though it's uh, like got, a george, it's like a george clooney ad <laughs> yeah uh, we got saku uh segu patrol saku patrol yeah. and valsatan yeah. right mm. so valsatan that is also very very familiar but i do not know why you can it's your arb oh yes yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah nice yeah, yeah. that's the uh, angiotensin receptor that's block. your angiotensin receptor blocker nice yeah so let's rule them out quickly so we can rule out it's, the it's not a doctor ban and it's not uh, uh, erythromycin either yeah yeah do you think he has heart failure um, difficulty exercising but yeah. none of his other symptoms are pointing towards heart failure no what other things would we be, would we be looking for like edema um yeah depending yeah, exactly. on which side it is it'd be it could be pulmonary or it could be pedal edema okay. so it could be at his feet his ankles yeah exactly and not having any of those signs at all um but lots of these kind of yellow skin changes Mm. Um, and other cardiovascular stuff. So I'm going to put my money on azetamibe. Yep, and that's right. Bang on. It's azetamibe. You said you mentioned you weren't quite sure what this was. Before researching, I wasn't actually quite sure either. But we will look into what it is. What do you think of the diagnosis is? Okay, so all in all, the kind of overall picture we're getting is that he seems to have some high cholesterol, so hypercholesterolemia. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Okay, so we're going to do mnemonic of the week. But before we do that, we're just really quickly, and it's going to be really quick, really brief, because with no diagrams, it's quite hard to understand. We're going to talk about the cholesterol pathway. So we've established he's got some kind of high cholesterol. Well, we think he does based on the presentation. Okay. So considering the cholesterol pathway, then it's important to, first of all, remember that you can get dietary cholesterol and you get endogenous cholesterol. Okay. So it's that's the cholesterol that you'll get from your Krebs cycle, essentially. Right. So when your cholesterol is in your duodenum or in your gut, basically, it will get absorbed into the liver. We can block that with zetamibe. So that's one way to stop cholesterol entering the liver, and then it'll just get flushed out. Another thing we can do to block cholesterol is using statins, and they're quite they're quite a common method of reducing cholesterol. And what this does is it basically blocks. HMG-CoA, it basically blocks HMG-CoA converting into mevalonic acid. So that's another way. Another thing we can do is we can use fibrates, which will stop your VLDL, which is your very low density. And these are like your really bad ones. Well, they're very bad. They're big, fat, chunky molecules. And using fibrates, you can basically break them down and then store them in fat and muscle for energy. Get them away from the blood, prevent them from causing these fatty plaques. Anyway. Exactly, because since you mentioned plaques, you know, if, if the VLDLs continue to get broken down into LDLs, if these start depositing in the blood, that's where you, you know, like you said, you get all these plaques. And, and we'll consider why these are bad later on. Considering that then, this is a mnemonic for statins. Okay, and I'm going to give you that much. I'm not going to say too much more. So we considered a couple of other drugs. Statin is also yeah. known as HMG-CoA reductase inhibitor. So it's basically the same thing. Whether you say HMG-CoA yeah. reductase inhibitor or statin, it's the same thing. So you can use each one of these letters, which will correlate to a statin side effect. Okay, okay. Can you think of any statin side effects? Statin side effects. So the letter um, HMG, C for CoA, R for reductase and I for inhibitor. Each one of those letters stand for a specific side effect. Stand side effects. That's quite tricky. Yeah. I know that like they have the action in the liver mm -hmm. and muscles. So I imagine that they're going to cause some issues. Yeah. 
around the normal cholesterol production in these places. Yeah. So you said liver. So another word for liver. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Hepatotoxicity is H. Nice. And then you said mus in the muscle as well. Muscles as well. Yeah. Right. So myopathies that could be myalgia or myositis. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um. I think you're gonna have to give me the rest of it, man. I'm not too sure. No, that's fine. So there's GI upsets. So nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Cataracts, rhabdomyolysis, mm -hmm. and increased risk of di of diabetes. That's a bit of a vague one, but um, not great. No, no, no. I like that. I really like it's, that. That's really good. You've asked me to rate your one, so rate this one. Come on, out of ten. Oh, out of ten. Um, I'm gonna give that a seven. Great. No, no. I'm not gonna ask any questions. I think I'm just gonna move on. I'm gonna take that. We've said that this is hypercholesterolemia. Let's quickly define that. Mm -hmm. It's high cholesterol, right? Um. So. Cholesterol itself, there's several different types of cholesterol you can get. Um, you can have the people colloquially might say about like the good cholesterol and bad cholesterol. For us, that means the good cholesterol is often referred to as high density lipoproteins, and the bad cholesterol is known as low density lipoproteins. Mm -hmm. You can imagine it as when something is big, it takes up more space and will likely cause more problems. You can have hypercholesterolemia, but it's only really a problem when it starts being dyslipidemia, when the relative ratios of the like the low density like proteins and the high density like proteins are out of whack so to say right okay yep yep so so basically if you have too high low density or too low high density yeah exactly and it's kind of used in reference to the general population as well so if you have um the low density cholesterol which is the bad kind if it's above the 90th percentile that's bad mm -hmm. uh, or if you have the high density cholesterol the good cholesterol below the 10th percentile that's also bad I feel we've uh, <laughs> we've kind of done. We're like, good is good, bad is bad, kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. But I think that's the best way. You know, I think that's the best way to do it because there's a lot of confusion sometimes with LDL and HDL, which is good, which is bad. But I get confused all the time. Yeah, you just have to explain it quite simply sometimes. And so, what about complications then? You you mentioned briefly about the plaques and the LDL building up. Yeah, so as you can imagine, like as these fatty streaks become fatty plaques and these plaques rupture and foam cells and all the inflammatory processes are going on, it's that collecting in this space and occluding these vessels, it's going to cause problems of blood flow, very simply. So you mentioned already how kind of TIA or stroke and a myocardial infarction, like a uh, an MI uh, heart attack, essentially, from lack of blood flow, mm -hmm. it's the same illness just in two different organs yeah that, that's a good point actually it is isn't it uh you can get claudication as well you can get uh, can you get pv uh, peripheral vascular disease um from that as well yeah yeah i think so and acute limb ischemia as well so basically what we're doing then the mechanism is the plaques build up the actual diameter of the tubes of the vessels in your body gets smaller so therefore you have a lower supply of blood and essentially you can cause all these kinds of ischemia it's pretty much it isn't it that is exactly it, yeah. With a particular focus that these kind of plaques build up in the arteries and arterioles rather than the, the veins because obviously the cholesterol has been taken to the body cells and it's going to be used up or stored there and not being sent back uh, along the veins instead, right? Um. So uh, risk factors, let's talk about them. We're going to go through them and just really briefly explain each one. So the first one is having an insulin resistance or having diabetes, essentially. Uh, the greater the insulin resistance, the greater the VLDL triglyceride production, or basically you just can't break it down as well. You can't clear it, builds up, uh, increased risk of plaques forming. Uh, excess body weight, so weight gain is associated with increased LDL cholesterol levels. 
And when there's mm-hmm. obesity, especially in the ab- like in the abdominal region, you get some uh, not really that great changes in lipid metabolism. And it's a bit like what happens when there's insulin resistance in type 2 diabetes. Again, we were talking about the waist circumference. So we're talking about um, above 94 centimeters in males and above 80 in females. And we've got Jet Li, um, 43-year-old pilot who has a waist circumference of 102 centimeters. So he's exactly. quite at risk, isn't he? Yeah, so is that a risk factor? Yeah, hell yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot more than 94 centimeters so you know a concern and a lot of the times waist circumference is actually quite an important one because i remember when we were told this and i would always think before going into med school that it's bmi you know bmi is the big one but waist circumference is a big one because it talks about sorry excuse the pun there um waist circumference um is an important one because it highlights as well the amount of potential fat that surround the the viscera or the the organs around the abdomen um, and if you can imagine more fat around the liver, then it's much harder for the liver to do its job in essentially breaking down cholesterol as well. So the more fat that's deposited around the organ, the less effective yeah. that organ is essentially. Exactly. And also like BMI can have its own issues as well. When you're talking about athletes or weight trainers, mm-hmm. they've got um, a lot more uh, muscle to fat ratio. So they would be kind of heavier than mm-hmm. the average person and therefore with like a quote unquote like unhealthy BMI. But yeah. You know, doesn't apply so well to these kind of people yeah exactly so so bmi by itself is uh is okay to use but waist circumference gives a another good representation of, of fat deposits as well hypothyroidism is the other one do you know much about this i do know a little bit about hypothyroidism but i don't really know so much with it and hypercholesterolemia then yeah so so the severity essentially of lipid abnormalities increase along with the severity of hypothyroidism so they've noticed this in association so they, they mentioned that you know, assessing TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone is quite important. And there's been a couple of studies. So there's a, there's a specific study from the British Medical Journal, and it talks about patients with primary hypothyroidism also had isolated hypercholesterolemia, and that's 56%. And then another 34% had hypercholesterolemia and hypertriglyceridemia. That's a mouthful. Hypertriglyceridemia. So there is a link there. So that's that's important to be it's important to be aware of that, and it's important then to do all your um, your thyroid function tests as well. So so a couple of important risk factors there. I think we've covered a section about the background of it. So let's go on to examination findings then. We spoke a little bit about um, the BMI and the waist circumference, but now we're going to talk a little bit of the more specific uh, risk factors you can look out for in people with cardiovascular disease and especially hypercholesterolemia, okay? So most important thing to do is to look at the cardiac examination, but above and beyond that, there are some signs that you can see in the person, things like our xanthomatas, which are the raised yellow deposits of cholesterol on palms, tendons, wrists, elbows, and lower limbs. And our kind of patient of the week, he had some uh, on the back of his kind of uh, kiddies tendon, right? Mm. Another thing to look out for is the corneal arcus. So it's a blue-gray ring in uh, the peripheral cornea, circling around the iris it's over 60 years old it's normally benign but under 50 years old it suggests some cholesterol has been deposited there it usually starts at the top and the bottom and then joins up to form a circle um it also may be down to fatty acid deposits from alcohol use as well so that could be uh something else however something to note is that if you have a unilateral ring so you don't have it in both sides um you might be something serious going on such as carotid artery stenosis uh, such as like numbness, weakness of the face, speaking difficulties, and dizziness. 
or a low intraocular pressure and you might have blurry vision with that as well. Mm. It's also important not to confuse like Echocardiolacus with uh, Kaiser Fleischer rings. Um, Kaiser Fleischer rings, isn't that like copper deposits? It is, yeah. I, I think they're, are they slightly different color or are they also blue gray? I'm not too sure, but... I think they are a different color. I think they're kind of like a, like a bright orangey color. Quite pretty, but probably not very good to have. And finally, the last kind of sign I wanted to point us to was the xanthalasma. So these are like well demarcated mm. cholesterol deposits around the eyes associated with high cholesterol. Um, or would you kind of, they kind of look a bit like, uh, they don't look like spots. They they, they kind of look like, look like sesame like, like seeds, warts, maybe. Oh, sesame seed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that, that's quite a common thing to check for when you're doing kind of any abdominal exam. Um, you know, when you check the eyes, that's one of the things, you know, we were told to look out for. So, yeah, I'd probably say sesame seeds, but they can look like a whole bunch of different things. You can see them on, uh, on, on Google. You can pull up pictures, but yeah so we've done the examination we've got our findings so what next we have to do some investigation so number one top of the list that we could do is a lipid profile and essentially what we're doing there is we're just checking triglycerides uh, ldls hdls uh, basically good bad cholesterol and their kind of ratios it's one of the things you kind of have to consider though is that say somebody has hypercholesterolemia and also has an acute mi that acute MI would be considered as an acute illness, and that can actually influence the lipid profile. So the triglycerides go up and the cholesterol decreases when there's states of inflammation. So if there is somebody that has an acute MI, it's probably a good thing to do it, take the measurement acutely or wait after recovery just so it doesn't affect that much. Um, but yeah, lipid profile, number one, you've got high cholesterol, you're checking the lipids there. Um, and then really the only other thing is the thyroid panel. Like we said, the hypothyroidism being a risk factor. So just important to keep that checked. Um, just check the serum TSH um, that may indicate any kind of hypothyroidism. Um, but but that's pretty much it. I, I don't have anything else for investigations, Ketan, do you? I don't, no, no, no. That's, but that, that's the big one, I think. That's the, the big one is checking the lipids. And then I guess if there was any kind of... So we talked about what some of the complications then you get from hypercholesterolemia. You get the um, like the MIs or the um, the stroke. I, I guess if there was anything that... You know, if if the hypercholesterolemia led to any of these complications, then you'd also assess the patient for, the, for these and then you do relevant tests. But as far as hypercholesterolemia goes on itself i don't think there's that much more to do no no not from investigations but doing some of these as well will help to split your differentials so i've got some differentials to look at as well now so first one up is obstructed liver disease you might want to consider nephrotic syndrome and that might result from a reduction in plasma and cortic pressure leading to hyperlipidemia and also the severity of this hyperlipidemia is inversely and closely related to the fall in oncotic pressure as well mm. if the hdl is normal but the cholesterol and triglycerides are elevated There'll also be an abnormal creatinine, urea, and albumin profile as well. Also, chronic renal insufficiency. So usually what happens is you present with high triglycerides and a low HDL. Um, and then you'll get kind of, you know, abnormal serum creatinine, urea, albumin, that kind of stuff. Um, and then also just check your GFR and check the urine protein as well for 24 hours. Um, and then that, that should cover you for that differential. And we kind of mentioned this already. The last one we've got here is hypothyroidism. Um, you want to check the serum TSH if it's high and a serum-free thyroxine may also be low, so consider that as well. One more interesting thing that's not really differential, but it's also worth considering whether this might be familial hypercholesterolemia. So basically what happens is that there's not enough receptors on the liver that allow for LDL reuptake. So essentially the LDL builds up and then causes hypercholesterolemia. So important to check that. I think it's a defect of on 19, chromosome 19, 
And yeah, there's just not enough receptors on the liver for you to be able to reuptake uh, LDL, so it builds up. Um, but yeah, not a differential, but also worth considering. All right, Hermes, you have the treatment, which is azetamibe. Hit me with what is it and well, how much do I take? I mean, azetamibe is not first line. And like we kind of discussed a little bit earlier, there's a bunch of different drugs. First line, I think in many cases, is statins, okay? That's what you'll go for when you're trying to reduce cholesterol. Um, specifically for us, we go for a torvastatin first choice, uh, and then we can go for rosuvastatin or uh, pravastatin. Um, and these second choice are under specialist recommendation, okay? Azetamibe is also another lipid modifying agent. And like we said, it stops the dietary cholesterol from being absorbed into the liver. And actually, the dose is quite simple. It's just 10 milligrams orally once daily. Um, nice. And you can take that on its own, or you can take that with statins. And actually, taking them with statins has been seen to be quite effective. But you, you, can, you can take azetamibe if, it's, if statin therapy is contraindicated, or if somebody who's already on statins basically can't take them any longer. Um, or like I said, you can take them together um, and it's like a super effective combination there. Um, but it's it's usually when the LDLs have not been controlled, even after you titrate statins. Or it's because you're up titrating the statin, but the dose is limited because there's intolerance somewhere. Um, so so you can take them, you can take azetamibe on its own uh, or with, with statins, um, but it's 10 milligrams orally once daily. Um let, uh, we, we also have to consider, though, where the statin and for which individual statin therapy is contraindicated. So, yeah, statins shouldn't be taken in people who, who have some kind of liver problems or if blood tests suggest that the liver is not working properly as well. Some people like that could be um, people who are pregnant who, or who are breastfeeding, who have kind of liver injury, liver disease at all. Some people who are increased risks of things like myopathies, right, which is when um, like tissues of your muscles become damaged and painful. And if you have severe myopathy known as rhabdomyolysis, this can also lead to kidney damage downstream of that, right? So people who are increased risk of myopathies are people over 70. Uh, again, people who have liver disease, people who regularly drink large quantities of alcohol, and mm. people who have a lot of like muscle-related side effects or a family history of myopathies or rhabdomyolysis, okay? So so a lot of that collectively is like in liver injury, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting actually because that, actually, that links quite well to mnemonic of the week, believe it or not, like the statin side effects. Um, so we talked about hepatotoxicity. So essentially, you don't want to overload the liver. Um, and then you, you talked about the myopathy there as well. So, hey, that, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that sounds spot on. So full circle, isn't it? You know, like circle yeah. of life in that. <laughs> yeah. So important to remember then where statins are contraindicated. Um, and then that, that's where you could use azetamibe for. But yeah, quite simple. 10 milligrams orally once daily. Really briefly, just about management as well. Just important to note dietary changes, um, exercise, smoking cessation, that can all really help um, on top of pharmacological intervention as well. Um, a lot of the times, these lifestyle changes can have an effect by themselves, but it's always really helpful for the pharmacology as well behind it. Uh, what, one important thing to also note is that as a clinician, it shouldn't just be enough to say, make changes to your diet or do exercise or stop smoking. You should always provide some kind of value um, just so the patient has a target because th th this will be completely pointless if you just say 
you know, change your diet. You have to be able to provide specific changes to that diet, which which you can look up. And you can also consider a dietitian if it just becomes really difficult for the patient to comply with that. So you can have pharmacological management and you can have non-pharma management as well. And a combination of both is really ideal. So, Ketan, now we've done that, I think it's your turn for a fun fact. Uh, it's fun fact. There's more like fun question of the week. All right, okay. So it's more of a news item. Um, I've got a question for you, Hermes, and it's, it's four potential answers, just like you did right at the start, where you give me four different drugs and I had to work out which one was which. Okay. So, mm, yeah, go for it. Um, this is from, so this came out fresh off the press from Wednesday. Um, it's in the Galleon, and uh, foodies in Spain are angry, or food purists, should I say. They're mm-hmm. angry over which recent invention, okay? Is it recent? There's a, there's been a recent invention. Okay, go for it. Let's, yeah, let's yeah, recent invention, and it's in Spain as well. So hence all the le- all okay. the kind of answers are potential like Spanish stuff, right? So is it okay. instant paella rice? Oh is god, it... that could that could stir controversy. Okay, yeah, next. Yeah, one. good pun there. Stir controversy. Stir. <laughs> is it veggie chorizo? Is it flat, i.e. no fizz, damn lager? So that's the uh, the one from Barcelona, isn't it? Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yep, yep. Or is it a robot paella cooker? Okay, God. Okay, right. I don't think it's a robot paella cooker. There's no way. Oh, actually, it's paella. We've we've got to we've got to respect the uh, the language. Oh, I thought. Uh, okay, okay, fine. <laughs> I thought that'd be. I, I thought I'd, like be insulting, like taking the piss out of it. But <laughs> any um any Spanish listeners were respecting the. <laughs> um. So I don't think it's that one because that actually make people's life easier. Uh. I think the. So, so you don't think it's that because it would make life easier. I, yeah, I think for me, for me, okay, the ones that would raise the most you know, uproar would be one of the first two. Ah, okay, like instant paella rice or veggie chorizo. I like, would probably go sorry, for veggie paella chorizo. Paella rice. Paella and, and chorizo. chorizo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say, I would say B because chorizo is like, like having a veggie, but I don't know because, hmm, that's tough. I think, I think I'd go B. I think I would. Well, Hermes, I am happy to say that you are dead wrong. Really? <laughs> what tease? <laughs> oh, what is the it? The headline is, Robot that can cook a paella no. is causing quite a stir in Spain. Are you serious? I loved you. Like, yeah, you literally said stir at the start, and I was like, that's quite funny, because that's the pun <laughs> that the Guardian's going for as well. So. Oh, really? <laughs> are you serious? Is that last one? It's the last one, yeah. Robot paella cooker. What? Really? Wait, wait. I mean, yeah. I mean that that's just having... I don't get why that would cause controversy. I'm not going to say cause a stir again because I think we've killed, killed yeah. that point. Um, but, yeah, well, apparently um, quite a few people are, you know, purists are blanching at the idea of a robot being allowed anywhere near the precious marriage of rice stock, veggies. Protein. It's like a sacred dish that can only be made by human hands. And, and apparently, like the the inventor was saying that, you know, it was it was very nice and didn't have any burnt bits, which... Often people get distracted, they go on their phone and they're texting away and they don't concentrate where the robot doesn't get tired. You know, he's not going to be scrolling through social media or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's like non-stop paella production. I mean, yeah. I, you wouldn't be able to tell though as a consumer. I don't think that, would you have to disclose that to the, just like, just to let you know today, sir, um, or, 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 or madam, um, 
your paella has been made by our finely tuned robots. It's like you you wouldn't <laughs> you would would you have to disclose? I don't know, but ah uh, yeah. But, uh, Hermes, as you well know, outside of training to be a doctor, I am a a, a food technician. Ma- no, I'm not. <laughs> I was gonna say master I have no chef. idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know. I I probably people might even be queuing up for the novelty of it. I don't know. You know. Hmm. Yeah. There I guess, you go. Yeah. Well, now now you know. Yeah. Now you know. Well, with that in mind, I would like to wish everyone buenos noches. <laughs> oh, and um, I hope you have enjoyed the episode E. Where's that in Spanish? E right? is for España. <laughs> <laughs> if you want it, yeah. Yeah, no, but it's been good fun. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> I love the mnemonic of the week this week. I thought oh, it was very thanks, good. Rod. You only give it a seven, though, so I'm not taking that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Better than last time. So. Gracias, todos. We shall see you next time for episode F. I don't know what that's going to be, but signing off from Kashan and my faithful, loyal, trusty steed, Hermes. <laughs> right, see you, see you guys next week. Steed. <laughs> Great. Love the respect, mate. And we kind of mentioned this already. The last one we've got here is like hyper. <laughs> I love those voice cracks. <laughs>